house. And there are different rooms in the house. Let's, let me remind you once more, we started off by talking about building the house. And uh, that does refer, of course, to building the congregation. There's a house, the church, and uh, the way we build that and what we put into it. But in particular, we were thinking also about what we put into our lives and how we build them. And we thought about uh, the living room, relationships, and so on, the kitchen, our work, and our service for others. We thought about the bedroom and intimate relationships and, and uh, sex in particular. We thought about the dining room and uh, welcoming others and hospitality and so on. And last week we thought about the attic, things that get put up there that really ought to be dealt with. And there are things as Christians, maybe in our past, that need to be dealt with, things that perhaps should be put right and so on. So it's obvious, isn't it, that being a Christian affects every part of our life. There's no part which is left out. Sometimes we do shut the Lord out of particular areas of our lives. We say, no, this, this bit is for me. But the Holy Spirit actually requires that we open up the whole of our lives. And sometimes we find areas of our life that haven't been opened before. <laughs> we, we discover new things about ourselves and we need to open up to the Lord for them. As uh, Andrew's already said, being a Christian is a whole life business affecting every aspect. Now, this morning is the last one of this series and uh, we're going to think about maintenance. Hmm. Every house needs maintenance. Over the passage of time, everything deteriorates, doesn't it? And uh, Joan and I have been looking around at the decoration in our house and we're saying, we've really got to do something. Hmm. And, uh, well, it happens so to us all. And it also happens in the Christian life. Not that we want to tart things up, but there are things that require maintenance in the Christian life. For being a Christian, as you know, is not a matter of having a subscription to the local gym or belonging to some other kind of club, which is just a little bit. Again, it involves the whole of our lives. Being a Christian is not just a set of beliefs, but it's a relationship to be maintained. Very important. You know, sometimes we say, I used, to, I used to be very friendly with so-and-so, but somehow or other, we've drifted apart. Mm -hmm. we, we all have friends like that in the past, don't we? We haven't maintained the relationship. And of course, it's true of marriage. We have to work at our relationship there. And we also know that maintenance doesn't do itself wish it did. We know that what happens to a house when it's left in a mess. And our Christian lives sometimes get in a mess through neglect. 
And so this maintenance is something that we, guided and prompted by the Holy Spirit as we hear God's word, this is something that we need to be doing. We need to choose to do it (laughs) deliberately. And we need to work at it. I'd like to say that if our Christian life is drab and wearisome, a bit like a tatty house, if being a Christian is sometimes something that we resent, and I wish I wasn't, I wish I didn't have to do this, if we just give it the minimum observance, it's quite likely due to the lack of maintenance. Maintenance is very important. How are we to do it? Well, I would just like us, for reasons that you'll see in a moment, I'd like us to look again at that passage that we read. And uh, I would like us just to, I'm going to read it to you, I'd like you to follow it, not in your Bible, and I'll explain why, I'd like us to look on on the screen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And then down a bit. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Down again. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. It begins with an argument word. The book of Hebrews is full of them. All the way through Hebrews, he's giving them some teaching and some explanation, and then he says, therefore, and he applies it to their lives. And so we've come to another of the therefores. I don't know whether uh, you can remember geometry at school. I can't remember very much. But I remember working on the angles of a triangle. And so they would say, now, this angle, since this angle is like this, and since this angle is like this, therefore, that angle must be like that. Remember that? This is exactly what he's doing in this section. There's the first since. Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. I won't go right through for now. And then again, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. What is he doing? He's actually recapping on all that he said in the first ten and a half chapters. Just giving you a little recap. These are, these are the reasons that I'm giving you, he says, for the following. And now he comes to his therefore. Let us. Let us. And let us. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So he's got 
Four lettuces following on his reminder of what he's just been teaching, okay? And uh, I ask you to look at it this way because our Bibles sometimes are a little different. Uh, the old version, the King James authorized version, you would find three and four are put together. And it would read something like this. Let us see how we may provoke one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. They just put it together. And in the Bible reading that we had just now, from the church Bibles, you will have noticed that's exactly the same. Three and four are put together. But if you've been using that new um, international version translation for some years, your Bible would have it like this, have it in four. It's just the way the translators put it. So if that should puzzle you, that's what it's all about. So let's just look at the two senses just for a few minutes. As I say, they're a kind of recap. He's been teaching them from the Old Testament the tremendous privileges of being a Christian. And one of them is the fact that we have the right to enter into the actual presence of God. That's our right. Now in the Old Testament, God promised to be with his people. And he came and showed his presence in one particular place. It wasn't God in a box, but God's presence rested there and that was in the tabernacle or in the temple in a part which was called the most holy place. And God taught them that it was so holy that only one man in the whole nation was ever allowed to go in there. He was the high priest. And before he had to go in there, he had to be sure to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could go in and intercede with God for the sins of the nation. It was a remarkable place. Very holy, very sacred, frightening, the presence of God. And it was a tremendous privilege for a sinful human being to be able to enter the presence of God. Now, he's telling us, reminding us, that the gospel says that all of us have that same privilege of approaching God in prayer, that we can, in a spiritual sense, enter into his very presence. And the way is through the death of Jesus, or as it says there, uh, a new and living way. We enter by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way opened for us by his body, through his life and his death for us. Then, the second thing, a second sense, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now that's something else that he's dealt with. He points out in the Old Testament there, were the, uh, there was the high priest, and then there was a whole body of priests. And when a person came to sacrifice to God, he didn't do it himself. He brought his animal or his gift, and the priest took it and offered it. The priest was a mediator between him and God. Now what he's been arguing all the way through this letter is... 
that we have a great priest in Jesus so that we don't need any other person to stand between us and him and we don't need any other sacrifice to take away our sins or to make God pleasing towards us. It's all in Jesus. And he's been arguing this all the way through for ten and a half chapters. Some of it very dense, and if you don't know your Old Testament, you'll find it sometimes difficult to understand. But that's what he's been arguing. Since, since, therefore. So what are the therefores? What are the lettuces? Let's look at those. If the program will go forward for us. Okay. Let us draw near to God. What's he talking about? Our Sunday morning services? Well, yes. In part. We do come together and we do together want to draw near to God. But let's be honest. We can attend a church service without ever drawing near to God. It can be mere formal observance. I have to plead guilty, and I'm sure you do. There are times when we come to a service and we can be just about a spectator. We watch what goes on. We listen to what goes on, but, but somehow our, our hearts are not really there. We can, can't we, say amen to a prayer, and we've scarcely heard a word. Eh? God forgive us. Eh? So the man that wrote to the Hebrews is saying to us, the first thing we can do in this matter of maintenance is to draw near to God in our hearts and do it with sincerity and do it believing all the promises that God has given to us in the gospel. It's a matter of personal commitment. It's a matter of relationship. Sunday mornings, yeah, our home groups, Sunday evenings when we meet. But in our own time, we need to do that. It's not enough just to come to church uh, once a week. You'll never do much with a relationship if that's all there is. We need ourselves to bring our thanks to God. We need ourselves to learn to praise him from our hearts. Praise him for his greatness and glory, his knowledge, his wisdom. We're talking about nothing's too big for God. Yes, well, sometimes we need to take time to learn that, or maybe we take it so much for granted that we forget. We need to realize again how wonderful God is. We need to draw near to him in our hearts and minds. Sometimes we feel too unworthy to do that. We even feel guilty about things. And How can I come to God? That's why he says, look, in full assurance of faith, all those things I've just told you, he says, also, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Hmm? 
Again, he's reminding us of what he said. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death for us, cleanses us from all sin. Hmm? Yeah, praise God. It is, it is a, an amazing thing when you think about it. So you may come and you may enter that holy place, the presence of God. Not for your goodness or your achievement, but because Jesus, as it were, takes us by the hand and he brings us into the presence of God, as Peter says in his letter. Of course, this is not just saying our prayers, as if our prayers were some sort of code or some sort of spell for attracting God and his favor. You ever thought to yourself, I said my prayers, God must be pleased with me. We need to learn to speak to him and express our personal thoughts to him and we need to think about what we're saying. Don't start to pray immediately, perhaps. Think about it, what you want to say. Things to be sorry about. Things to give thanks for. Worshipping God. Asking for things. Not always easy to do, but it's necessary. We must draw near to God. Here's the next letters. Let's hold unswervingly to our hope, the profession of our hope. And this has a special reference to our thinking and our understanding and to what we believe. As Christians, we have come to believe certain things, important things, big things, and they've changed our lives. We've come to believe the promises of the gospel. We've come to believe on Jesus, the Son of God, who tells us what God is like. He tells us what we are like. And he offers this complete forgiveness for sins to the undeserving. We're told that by faith we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ now. And just as he rose from the dead, so one day we shall rise from the dead too. He is our elder brother, we're told. We're told that he gives us eternal life so that we need not fear death. We're told that he's going to come again in glory. We will be with him. We shall see him. We shall be like him. We shall see God. These things are amazing, far more wonderful even than we can imagine. Hold fast to all that God has promised. God is faithful. Now we need, we need to do this as part of the maintenance. In our Christian lives, you know already, we are going against the stream these days. You can't keep going against the stream unless you do your maintenance. I'm sorry for the mixed metaphors, but you know what I mean. We have uh, still sinful, doubting hearts that give us trouble. We need to look after the maintenance there. We have an enemy, we're told. Goes about like a roaring lion seeking who may be, he may devour, or he may transform himself like an angel of light. 
we have an enemy. Hold fast. Be consistent. It's like to break off there for a minute. How? Let's just think for a few minutes how that might be. One big way in helping us in standing firm and a big way in helping us enter into that holy place is our use of the Bible. It's very important. The Bible, what is it? Well, it's God, the record of God revealing himself to men and women over centuries. It's also the record of what he revealed. It's the record of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he revealed. And the Bible tells us that God spoke his last word in terms of revelation, authoritative revelation. He spoke his last word in Jesus, his final word. We're told that God, the Bible, is God-breathed, spirit-breathed. It's the work of his Holy Spirit. He worked on men as they wrote these things down. They're important for us and they're profitable for us. The Bible is food for our spiritual lives. Don't starve yourself. The Bible is how God speaks to us. There's no other authoritative way of hearing God's voice. If we want to know anything about God, about the world, who we are as people and God's children, the Bible tells us. If we want to know how to draw near to God, the Bible gives us help in that regard. And there are all kinds of clues as we see how others in the Bible were taught to draw near to God and their experiences. The Bible guides us in life. There's moral guidance, clear guidance in God's Bible. The Bible reminds us of our great inheritance. Important to us. Well, you say, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, of course. The Holy Spirit takes the Bible and applies it to us. He opens it up to us. And so, in this matter of maintenance, we need to think about the Bible, to read it. We can ask questions like this. Is, is this part of the Bible telling me something about God? Is it telling me something about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it, uh, is it telling me something about myself or something that I should do or abstain from? And then we can turn what we have read into prayer. This really, you see, is not just a matter of knowledge. It's not just a matter of ticking off, I've read that bit, and tomorrow I've read that bit, and it's... it's taking time and letting God speak to us through his word. I Please don't think I'm a paragon of virtue in this matter. Hmm? I have my problems, I have my battles too, but this is how God speaks to us. Read it all. Hmm? <laughs> there are some parts that are quite difficult. Some parts that we don't find very inspiring at all, but read it all. If you don't read the Old Testament, you will never understand the book of Hebrews, for instance. 
read it all. Read the Psalms. These are uh, experiences of men of God. What they said, what they thought, how they spoke to God, and how God spoke to them. Hmm. Read it regularly. If you genuinely can't read it every day, sometimes it must be very hard, especially for uh, mothers with children and things like that, and sometimes for men in the work that they have to do. If you genuinely can't read it every day, set aside several times in the week that you read it and you think about God's Word. And I could go on a long time, but use a hymn book. Now some of the hymns are tremendously helpful in helping us to worship God. And uh, some of them teach us about Bible truth. We're going to sing one in a minute um, called There is a Hope that Burns Within My Heart. It's one of the terrific new songs. And it really expresses what it is to be a Christian in this present time. It will help you get to know, learn some of them. And uh, there's an old one that we sing too, Before the Throne of God Above. We put a new tune to it, but marvelous words. Get to know them. They will help you in this matter of maintenance. And of course there are books. Books that will help us at every stage. If you're an absolute beginner, there are books that will help you in understanding the Bible. Books that will give you a little scheme for reading the Bible. Not too difficult to begin with. And then there are other books that help you as you grow in the Christian life. And there are some schemes that will get you to read, say, four chapters, five chapters a day, so that you can read the whole Bible in a year, and so on. There, there's something for everybody in this matter. And uh, these things really are most important in this matter of maintenance, maintaining this relationship. But let's get back to the text. Please. There we are. Okay. So, number three, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Now this refers obviously to our life as a church. Not talking about spurring yourself on. Spur one another on. We have an obligation to our family members as a church. We should be concerned for one another. The New Testament doesn't know anything about solitary Christians. There are always Christians in community. And uh, Christians should always belong to another family of Christians. That's where we should be. Spur one another on. The old version used to say, provoke one another. You never said, I got really cross with so-and-so today. I was really provoked. We are to provoke one another. How to do that? (laughs) Well, I suppose we could say a few things to one another. I suppose the preacher is meant to provoke you a bit to love God and so on. But it's often by our attitude that we provoke one another. You know a person that loves God. Hmm? See the way they live. And then we provoke one another by the things that we do. 
our help for one another, our concern for one another, and so on. And we create an atmosphere of helping one another, an atmosphere of belonging. So we're provoking one another to love God and to love one another. Good deeds, it says. Ooh. They have a bad reputation in some circles. Don't like do-gooders. Now, he's not talking about interfering in the lives of others, but seeking the welfare of others. You know, offering help. Showing kindness. Neighborly service. You know, in the past, in Europe, it was the Christians who started the hospitals and started schools. Good works, good deeds. And in the last century, it was missionaries when they went to underdeveloped countries like Africa and India, parts of China and so on. What did they do? Well, they preached the gospel, they told them about the Lord, and they started schools, and they offered medicine. Good deeds. There was a need, and they aimed to meet it. In our day, what is the Abbey Project? It's a home for us as a church, but it's also service to the community. Good deeds. Good work. And that's what God wants us to do. There's a verse in Ephesians which says we are God's workmanship created for good works that God has planned in advance that we should do. Paul wrote to Titus, he said, in your pastoral work, you see that our people devote themselves to good deeds. Should be characteristics of us. So, Number three in our maintenance, we spur one another on. But let's look at number four very briefly. Please again. There it is. Let's not give up meeting together. Mm -hmm. Now obviously this follows on from the previous one. And uh, so often in our Bibles the, the three and four are put together. You can't spur anyone on if you're not with them. And you can't be spurred on if you're not with him. So again, this is important. A Christian should belong, as we said just now, to a body of believers. A Christian should meet regularly with believers. We need to learn to see other believers as part of our family. We need to be together. There's an African illustration that I heard years ago. You can't start a fire with one stick. Try it. If you want to put a fire out, separate the sticks. Add water if you like, but they'll go out if they're not together. We need one another. Isn't it strange that often when we're finding difficulty in our Christian lives, we separate ourselves. Oh, I'm not going to go to church. I, I don't feel like it. 
don't feel much like a Christian today. I won't go to... Really? Not forsaking gathering together with the Lord's people. We belong there. God's people are our people if we are Christians. Make it a rule always to be amongst fellow believers on Sunday at least. You can even do it on holiday. It's great to meet other Christians. That's all good. I've got to rest. I don't have to get... No, go to meet the Lord's people. Meet some more of your brothers and sisters. Make it a rule for your sake and for their sake. It brings encouragement to them. You'll be provoking them. Mm -hmm. And we do it we do it not to gain credit, do we? We don't gain credit with God by going to church, but for our spiritual well-being. It's one of the ways of maintenance. So there it is. Four ways, maintenance. Lots more could be said. (laughs) But draw near to God with a sincere heart. When we are together, when we're on our own, Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Stand by the truths of the gospel. And remember we were talking about the importance of the Bible in that. And then, considering how we may spur one another on, let us not give up meeting together. That's it for this morning, except for one thing. Come on. Can you push it forward, Alan? <laughs> right. All the more as you see the day approaching. You say, what day is that? That's the day when the Lord returns. A great and glorious day when he returns for his own people and our history is going to be wound up. And it's a day which will surely come. He is faithful that promised. It's going to come. But for people who are not Christians, it's going to be a difficult day, a hard day. But it's no threat to us as believers. This shouldn't be something that we dread. We shouldn't be saying to ourselves, well, I'd better get on with this maintenance, I suppose, because the Lord is coming again after all. Mm -hmm. It's meant to encourage us. Look, he's saying, this is a wonderful day to be looking forward to. It's coming. So pay attention to the lettuces. The Lord's coming. It will be a time of glory, great joy, transformation. All the maintenance will be finished. The building will be complete. We shall be like the Lord. Think about that. Let it encourage you.